What's up, guys? Welcome to the latest edition of Open Mic here on Wolf Bites Radio, home of NC State's best music and the beat of the pack. Logan Sims here again with you, and I'm joined today by DJ What the Heck. I know you are, DJ What the Heck, as excited as I am for this open mic as we have a very, very special guest with us today. Tell us a little bit about who we will be talking with today. Yeah, so very special guest indeed, and we actually, he just said, we made his day. So this has been a great start off to our morning. Um, number one ranked DJ by DJ Mag for four years in a row, Grammy-nominated DJ as well, and then this year, Abiza Awards Best Trans DJ, Armin Van Buren. Armin, thank you very much for being with us. Hi, thank you. Thank you, guys. It's an honor. We cannot tell you how much of an honor it is to have you on our podcast, and uh, we're just going to jump right in. DJ, what the heck? So, some of the interesting ones is you got a law degree. So, if this whole music thing doesn't work out, you can always fall back on that, right? Absolutely. Well, I finished my law degree in 2002. Actually, initially, I wanted to uh, become a doctor like my dad. He was a GP. Um, and in Holland, we have a numerous fixes system, which means that it was kind of a lottery uh, if you're going to be allowed to become a doctor or not. And uh, only 1,500 students are allowed each year, and my lottery number was 4,007. So that was that was bad luck. That was tough luck for me. Um, so I had some sort of a, an alternative study that I discussed with my dad. He said, "Well, you know, if you study law, it is you know so general, so it's good to have something to fall back on." And the first year, I didn't really like it that much, but at the end of the law, at the end of the first year, I actually started to enjoy it a little bit more. And I realized that I was really into making music at that point. I was already DJing a little bit in my uh, hometown in a local bar. And um, so one of the things that's big in law, right, is copyright. So I thought if I specialize in copyright, maybe I can't be successful as a DJ, but I can be successful in helping other DJs with their rights and stuff. And uh, obviously that was in a time when the Internet and Napster and all that whole discussion was still going on. So I wrote in a paper about the use of mechanical license organizations and stuff like that. And it actually helped me a lot to understand uh, my own business. So I finished my degree in 2002, and in that same year, I founded Armada Music. So the stuff that I learned, that I just finished learning, uh, I actually used that same year with when I was setting up Armada. You know, how to do that with tax law, how to set up a company and incorporate it how to, you know, limit your liability, how to work with insurance, and, of course, how to work with copyright. You know, you have to have decent contracts with your artists that you're signing and all that sort of stuff. So it really got me going a little bit. And actually, to this day, I'm still really glad I finished my law degree. But it's kind of a thing, kind of um agreement I had with my parents. You know, my parents weren't really into the boom-boom music. But my, my father was like, you know, if you finish your degree, I don't care what, what you do on the side, you know, if you want to make this boom boom music, fine with me, uh, but please finish your degree. So that was kind of a an unwritten agreement with my parents, and that's why I finished it. You know, I'm a quick learner, so uh, I had to do some work, but um, I finished my law degree in 2002. And um, but I never actually used a law degree. I had to get some working experience done to become a lawyer. So I finished my law degree 2002 with a year of working at a law firm, um, and that was kind of tough because I was. DJing in the weekends and during the week I was in the office at 7:30, working the whole day, uh, finishing you know assignments that I did for the uh, for the lawyers upstairs, and uh, it, lo- it taught me a lot about you know how lawyers work, about the practice, and yeah, it was kind of fun. So yeah. Well, you mentioned that you wanted to be a doctor. 
Um, but at the same time, you were doing music on the side, working some of those clubs on the weekends like you mentioned. At what point did you begin, even the, the smaller end of doing the side stuff with music? When did you start uh, with making your own music? Um, well, my dad had a keyboard, uh, Roland Jake's 3P, and he had some equipment. I had a, a cheap turntable and a small disco mixer, and an uncle of mine sold me an Atari ST uh, for $600, and uh, that was a, like one of the first sequencers. So I was fooling around with that at the age of 12, I think. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't serious on making music at that point. It was just fooling around with my friends on the keyboard and the sequencer. And then I had a paper route, and I bought one of the very first samplers, the Akai S01, which was a budget version of the S1000 sampler. And I started to fool around with that one, um, you know, making little mixtapes for my friends and starting to sample my mom's phone conversations with her friends and stuff, and, you know, making my first mixes. And that's when I realized I was really enjoying making music, you know, just being creative with samplers and whatnot. And at that point, dance music was still very new, it was still very fresh. Uh, so all the money that I made with a few releases that I did back in the day, um, you know, all the money I reinvested in buying new equipment, never thinking that that would be my profession later on. So I started when I was 12, and my first release was in 92, so that must have been when I was 15 years old. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So <clears throat> really starting with music at a very young age, and... The thing that really interests me is today there's so much under the umbrella of what is EDM. You have your trap music. You obviously have your trance music. Back then, and really more of today, what got you so much into trance music? Well, my father was a big inspiration because he used to listen to kind of progressive music of the day. Uh, I guess the most well-known artist in the day that he listened to was Jean-Michel Jarre and Vangelis and you know, who did the soundtrack for Blade Runner back in the day. Right. Um, you know, that sort of, it was, they called it synthesizer music back then. And it was, it was fairly progressive. It was brand new. And I think from that age, dance music came. You know, it was in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s. And I just loved electronic sounds. I loved synthesizers. I loved, and that's where my passion for electronic music came from. And then I found some friends who were having, were recording mixtapes on Dutch radio. And Dutch radio was pretty progressive at the time. They had the first mixers who uh, visited New York, Studio 54 and The Loft and all that. And they started to copy that style of mixing on Dutch radio. And all my friends were taping those mix shows, particularly a DJ named uh, Ben Liebrandt, a uh, Dutch DJ, who was ma making really weird combinations and mixes of existing tracks and adding his own beats to it. And it was just something I really liked. You know, he made a mix which had the beat of Jenna Jackson control, uh, but he didn't put the Janet Jackson vocal on there. He put um, the weather guy announcing the weather sampling on top of the beat, you know, making him like a rapper, you know. So <laughs> that was just really weird and inspiring, and it was very new at the time. And I was just, you know, really inspired by that, and I wanted to make that myself, never with the, you know, the idea in the back of my head that I was going to be a DJ or whatnot. I mean, at that time, it was completely unthinkable to DJ outside the Netherlands. And there was no DJ Mac, you know, there was no dance music on the radio. It was just the very first signs of something big to happen. You, uh, you've mentioned on multiple occasions already uh, your father, and you've mentioned um, using your mother's phone calls. You seem to be very much a family man, um, so much so that yeah, uh, you have uh, collaborated with your brother, in fact. Um, will you yeah. tell us a little bit about what it was like working with him on uh, some musical collaborations? 
Well, I can honestly say I think my brother's not the biggest fan of dance music. He's a guitar player. Actually, to this day, he's a very, very good guitar teacher. He has a lot of students. He lives in Amsterdam, and uh, he has his own practice. He, he was in a band for a while. He has his own recording studio. But he likes, you know, he was really into Steely Dan, and he was into Joe Satriani, and, and you know. But I guess he kind of appreciated what I was doing. So at one of, you know, we were living in the same house at the time. And um, I was making a track called uh, Yet Another Day, which featured a vocalist from uh, previous Genesis called Ray Wilson. And he wrote a track called uh, Yet Another Day, and, and it just screamed for a guitar hook, you know. So he was practicing upstairs, and I, he brought his guitar downstairs, and I just plugged it into my mixer, and it sounded awesome. It was distorted a little bit. And uh, he just did the guitar riff on a trance track, you know, uh, which was fairly new at the time. And you know that's how yet another day was born so he was actually part just you know quite randomly part of that track and how that came about so uh, i took him on tour when that track became sort of successful and uh, he was doing the guitar live on stage with ray wilson and uh, we've done a couple of tracks since uh, particularly a track called coming home which is a dedication to my mother who always says i love you please come home because she's always afraid that something happens when we go on the road uh, yeah, you know, and we're brothers, you know, we love each other very much. I have a lot of respect for him, uh, but he likes different kind of music, you know, but we, I think this is also coming from my dad, you know, he was always very open-minded in, in mixing and merging genres, you know, uh, particularly one album uh, by Walter Carlos called Switched on Bach, which was one of the very first electronic albums. It was uh, Walter Carlos who, who played on the MOOC synthesizer uh, Sonatas by Bach, Um and it's still being considered as one of the very first electronic albums. And it showed you how progressive my dad was at the time, because he was one of the very few people that owned the album and was actually, uh, you know, listening to that album uh, in my living room. And a couple of months ago, he actually gave me the, the vinyl copy of the album, the very first ad album that he bought. Um, and it shows you how he was trying to already cross borders with his own musical taste. He's more of a classical music fanatic you know he loves classical music yeah but he has an open mind to electronic music as well you know not to say that he loves the boom boom music but i think um if there would be one band that me uh, my brother and my father all love it would be like emerson lake and palmer you know because mm -hmm. they use synthesizers they have rock music it's very classical music inspired uh so if there would be a concert on from emerson lake and palmer we would go we would go check them out i love that i, th I think i'm gonna start referring to it as the boom boom music that is that is awesome. I love that your dad refers to it as that and that you do. And, uh, you know, some of the some of the greatest things it seems like comes from randomness is uh, you, you mentioned your brother just, you know, coming down one stairs and uh, plugging his guitar. And here we are today with the collaboration and the work that y'all have done together. That is awesome. Um, before we stray away from the family aspect too far, uh, just tell us a little bit about your wife and your, your children. We'd love to know a little bit about them. Oh, well, I met my uh, my wife in 1999 on a holiday in Greece when I was there with my friends. Uh, we got married in 2008, and we have two beautiful children who were born. Uh, my daughter was born in 2011, called Fena, and my son's called Remy. He was born in 2013, and we live in uh, in Leiden, which is a city just south of uh, Amsterdam, really close to the airport, which is convenient. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm really really happy. Uh, we uh, spent Christmas together, um, and uh, yeah, I'm really really happy with how everything's going. I guess it's the balance in my life, you know. When touring and making music, it's kind of a surreal life. But when I get home, I have to take out the trash, or you know, uh, uh, the family life. Or, yeah, family life, which is great for balance. You know, I, I guess we all need balance. It's good to. 
to have a little life on the road, but uh, I just love coming home and, and spending time with my family and do normal people stuff, you know, because I'm a very normal, normal guy, you know. I uh, I love my wife, my kids, and we go out to the beach or, you know, just a lot of people, I, you know, because in Holland, they, they recognize me, but uh, <laughs> right. I just like to go out, you know. I like to go to the beach and spend time with my family over there, you know. I love to hear that you're able to have that balance in your life we've spoken to a couple artists who you can just tell by the way they talk that they're just always on the road and don't yeah. seem to have that balance so it, it it brings my heart joy to know that that you are able to have that normal life have a beautiful wife and children and enjoy like you said the normalcies of life um dj what the heck uh, i know you want to ask uh armin about this next topic about the king yeah so perform for the crowning of the king of netherlands king william alexander what was that experience like? Yeah, it was surreal. I mean, uh, it's one of the most important days in the monarchy. Uh, you know, the king is very high regarded. Our queen is very high regarded. And when she passed over the, the crown to her son, it was a national celebration. And that was 2013. And seven weeks before the party was due, I got a phone call from one of his um, assistants saying that the king would very much appreciate if you would like to play with the Royal Dutch Symphony Orchestra and perform a version of, you know, do something special. Because they wanted to celebrate the coronation with a, uh, a round trip on a, on a, on a boat uh, in, on the A, which is the river in Amsterdam. And they wanted to have several performances, you know, just for the TV also. To, so they had, uh, I think, a children's choir performance. They had some famous other Dutch artists performing. And I was performing on, on, on the other side of the water uh, together with the Royal Dutch Symphony Orchestra, which was a very unique um, collaboration. But it was an initial, it really was a request from the king himself. And so you can't say no, you know, <laughs> that's <laughs> right, impossible. Right. So, and at that time, I was the number one in the world. So for him, it was very important to show, you know, that he was also involved with the young people and all that. And I met him before um, when they invited me for a special lunch, which is what they, they do every year. If you win an important award, like an Olympic medal or the DJ Mac, or you get a, a Grammy nomination, they invite all those people and a, and a thing called the Outblinkers Lunch, which is um, sort of a lunch that they organize for people that have achieved certain things. And I was really honored, and I got to speak a little bit with our uh, our queen, Maxima, and with, uh, with our king. So, you know, that they uh, they knew me, and I really were fans of my work, and, and that was great to, to hear. And I guess on the fact that that was a nice conversation, they invited me to... Uh, to have to be one of the performers on the on the coronation day, uh, and what was special about it is that they were on the boat and they were not allowed to leave the boat for safety and security reasons, and also because the boat was pretty low and and uh, the shore the shoreline was pretty high, um, but the king insisted while that happened and it was live on television he insisted that he'd come on stage it was unplanned and that made it even more spectacular so there's footage on YouTube that you can still see to this day um, that he and his wife came off. Uh, the boat uh, jumped on another boat, which was high enough to, uh, to reach the shoreline. And all of a sudden they were on my stage, which was uh, really random, but really, really nice. And, and he got a lot of praise for that because he wanted to be with the people because in front of me there were 20,000 people. So everybody went nuts when that happened. Uh, so, yeah, that, and that was the moment I premiered my big single, This Is What It Feels Like, as well. So it felt like everything came together. You know, it was a, it was a surreal moment, surreal moment. 
I love I love the transition we just made, uh, talking about your wife and your children and the normalcies of your life to talking about performing for the king and queen of the Netherlands. That is just <laughs> incredible. Um, we're going to turn now. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And we're going to turn now to some of the, the latest stuff and look back on 2017, you know, just a week ago. Hard to believe we're already a week into 2018. Um, but uh, we told you that on our year-end Wolf Bites tw Top 25 Countdown, uh, your song Sunny Days that you collaborated with Josh Cumbie came in at number 20. Can you just tell us a little bit about uh, where that song came from and uh, what it was like working with Josh? Um, I made an instrumental track in my home in Leiden together with Gordon Groothede and Benno de Goeie. And Gordon Groothede is one of the biggest producers in the Netherlands. He writes and produces a lot of the albums of famous Dutch artists such as uh, Marco Bursato and Nick and Simon, but also English guys like Matt Simon. And uh, we, we became really close friends, met each other a couple of times, and we said, you know, let's just get together in the studio, see if we can come up with something. So what we were doing, we were creating instrumental tracks, not really finished songs yet, but he's a very good guitar player, and I put down some chords, and uh, he played a really nice riff um, that was very summery, and it was very, uh, you know, very nice. So we called the demo Sunny Day, not Sunny Days yet. So I took that demo to uh, a listening session that I had at the house of Toby Gatt. And Toby Gatt is one of the co-writers on John Legend's uh, All of Me uh, uh, song. He's a very, very uh, talented, extremely successful uh, Grammy-winning uh, songwriter. And in his house were uh, Josh Combe and Afshin, who, who were two of his apprentices. And uh, we met down, sat down for some coffee. I played him the demo. And I told them that I had a, uh, already had a melody idea for that song called Oh Sunny Day. And I told them what I wanted the song to be about, like, you know, after the rain always comes the sunshine, that kind of idea. And they loved the idea. So I left the song with them and I went back to my hotel in L.A. Uh, and only an hour after I got back to my hotel, I think I got the first demo back. Like, and they wow. sung my hook line that I had in my head and they worked on the lyrics a little bit more. And it was just a matter of, you know, Sometimes you struggle making a song, but this was it just came about. And I took the acapella back to my studio in the Netherlands, and we added some more piano to it. They sent me some more sounds and some more harmonies. And I think in a matter of a few days, the entire track was done, and we were just like, wow. Sunny days. Lift me when I'm down. But it was a very different track, because it's not like a full-on trans, you know, main stage song. It was it's a very laid-back, sort of chilled song, still based on, on, you know, the feeling that we had on that sunny day in my studio in Leiden. So, yeah, it's, uh, I'm just really glad. You know, sometimes music just sort of makes itself if you're open to it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you were aware of this, but right after that song was released here in the United States, we, have a, we had a cross-continental 100% uh, uh, eclipse, solar eclipse. And uh, that, <laughs> that just, it fit in perfectly. In fact, right outside of our studio on the campus of NC State, we had a, li uh, a listening party where we played music, and we played that one a few times as we enjoyed the, the solar eclipse. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> and then a quick interesting question is when you recorded that song, because on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, Christmas Days was one yeah. that we were playing here on Wolf Bites Radio. Did you guys record that? kind of as Sunny Days was coming to a full thing, or did you guys come back and be like, all right, we need to have a Christmas Days come out here soon? No, it was, I think it was two weeks before Christmas that we actually came up with the idea, because, you know, if you translate the lyrics to Christmas, the song actually has a meaning, you know, because it's about, she keeps on praying, and it's about 
All she needs is shelter, you know, which is a reference to Maria, of, of course, and the birth of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So we really love the fact that the lyrics just fit it, just by coincidence, just fit it on top of uh, on top of sunny days. You know, if you just turn it into Christmas days, the lyrics are even more meaningful and, and beautiful and, and pretty. So it was actually kind of a, you know, it, it fits the, the easiness that we wrote the initial song with. Just the fact that it all came together. It's just it's beautiful, you know. And it was done, it was because the down tempo version of Sunny Days was already done. It was just a matter of, you know, putting in the, the Christmas Days line instead of the Sunny Days line and, and, and adding a Christmas bell to it. <laughs> it was fantastic. That was a beautiful song and a beautiful way to, to uh, turn that song into a Christmas song. So then, another one of your songs this year being number one in our charts, I Need You. Could you tell us a little bit about that one? I Need You was a song written together with Fernando Garibay, who was one of the producers on Gaga's big album. The I don't know what's got the name, what it was, but she he was very important to Lady Gaga's career. And he's a big dance music DJ, actually. He loves dance music. And I got in touch with him via a friend in L.A., met up with him. I heard the song, absolutely loved it. But it, again, it was it was very down-tempo. You know, it's, I think it's 105 BPM. So I was like, you know, am I going to do this? And then I did the transmix first, finished the transmix, which is 128 BPM. So I'm like, okay, I can definitely do this because this is more... Uh, more of a down-tempo version, but it fits the vibe of the song. And I met Olaf Blackwood, who's the singer on the song, and he originally uh, comes from Jamaica. And it just, you know, the 105 BPM, the slower version, just fits the Jamaican vibe, you know, more relaxed, you know. And it was a different song for me, but for some reason, I just like the emotion of the song. It's very, you know, it's very trancy if you listen to it, actually. Yes, it is. So what I like about this, the I Need You song is, uh, on the one hand, if you listen to the 128 club mix, it's a full-on trance track. But if you listen to the 105 BPM version, which is the the the, the track, the, you, the version that you guys play, it's very, you know, Jamaican almost. And, you know, you feel that sort of Bob Marley vibe in it, <laughs> which is some. That's what I love about the song. One more question before we move on from I Need You. Uh, watching that music video seemed like you and Olaf and Garibay had a lot of fun, uh, and you as well. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about working on that music video. Well, it's kind of a fun, you know, we wanted to create a, a fun video, driving in L.A., relaxing, you know, we want to have a little bit of a cheesy storyline. It's a little bit of a funny, you know, it was, it was meant to have a funny song, but also to add to the summary relaxed vibe of it you know we wanted to be three guys who are just having fun going to a house party and you know just chilling out really which is an uncommon thing for my videos because if you look at my other videos they're usually more a little bit more full-on you know with car chases and, and, right, and right. you know and all that sort of stuff so i just felt like that kind of fun fitted, fitted the vibe of the song totally well 
I know that before the uh, before the podcast began, we told you about the number 20 being Sunny Days, number one being I Need You on the Wolf Bites Radio Year and Countdown, and you mentioned that that made your day. So it made our day to know that we made your day, so thank you so much for that. And uh, we're going to move on to uh, get, a, get a little bit of a closing here and uh, talk about what you have coming up with your master class. Yeah, so um, three years ago, I came up with an idea at the Armada office to do the demo drop. Um, you know, there's so many young producers out there, uh, and I want to meet them. I thought, you know, rather than wait at the email address for people to drop demos for Armada to release, uh, why not meet those guys? And then I said, you know, I have to give people an incentive to come in and, and meet people at the office. So we'll invite like 60, 70 producers. I'll do a little bit of um, a presentation, like show people how I make my tracks and tell a little bit about it. And I got such a positive response also online because we broadcasted the whole thing online that we decided to call it the Armada Talent Experience. And the idea is that we show a little bit of the art tricks of the trade and then we get to hear these people's new music. So actually we signed quite a few new talent through these uh, talent experiences. And this is the first time I actually started doing current sort of workshops, you know, um, giving master classes, and then master class saw that, approached me, and and asked me if I wanted to do like a full on master class. And I'm like, you know, I've been in the music industry for 20 years. There's so much changed over the last 10 years. I mean, the days where you could just show up with your bag of vinyl and you know play a vinyl set, uh, those days are over. You know, if you want to be a successful DJ, you got to you know know how to produce a track. You got to know how to prepare your set to make mashups. You got to know how to make radio and present yourself or a podcast. Uh, and you got to know how to promote yourself on social media because like it or not, you know, you need to be on YouTube, you need to be on Facebook, you need to be on Twitter or Instagram. You got to have an idea about that. So it's not just a matter of playing all your big tracks and, and go, but there's so many aspects to DJing now in 2018, especially if you're a main stage DJ and you have to play on like, you know, Ultra, Tomorrowland, EDC, whatever not. So, uh, you know, I, I just tell my view on things. I'm not saying this is the way to go, but it's, it's sort of a, a course on, you know, how can I become an EDM DJ? How can I be successful? And the main focus, obviously, is on producing your own music. But I also touch upon preparing a DJ set, um, telling something about making mashups, uh, you know, touching on social media, touching on making radio. You know, you don't have to be a full-on radio personality but there's a few do's and don'ts when you make a podcast you know right so i mean all the awards you've won all the songs you have made and just all the experience you have definitely you feel like it's just about time for you to start giving back a little bit absolutely i mean um i've learned i guess i've learned so much by doing i've never had a course myself and it's so many so much knowledge that i had to learn myself why not share it with the rest of the world so then I don't have to go through the pain of in inventing everything themselves, you know. And, of course, it's all up to your own interpretation. I mean, I guess nobody's looking for a second army Van Buren. It's all about, you know, using my knowledge and, and then, you know, take that and go on. Absolutely, and we, we appreciate that, especially as people enjoy your music and the music of the EDM world, and I appreciate you leaving your mark on the future of what is going to come. Um <laughs> We have, uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Armin, we really, really, really appreciate you being with us today and sharing some of your knowledge and experiences that you've had with us. And thank you so much for being on our Open Mic Podcast here on Wolf Bites Radio. Yes, thank you so much, Armin. Yes, thank you, guys. And uh, I'm really thrilled to be uh, number 20 and number one in your charge. So a big thank you to all your listeners as well. 
Uh, lots of love to you guys, and uh, hope to catch you guys soon somewhere. Of course, and we appreciate that, and we know our listeners appreciate that. That is all the time we have here on Whoop Bites Radio Open Mic. Uh, DJ What the Heck and Logan Sims joined today by Armin Van Buren on the beat of the Whoop Pack, home of NC State's best music. We will see you next time here on Open Mic. <laughs>